my name's Laura Morehouse and the date today is Thursday the 29th of October 2020. Um, to get us started, I'd like to know a little bit about you and your background. Um, could you tell me your name and the year that you were born? Hi, my name is Alina Mirza and I was born in April 1964. Um, could you tell me a little about where you grew up? I grew up in Pakistan and uh, the province of Punjab and city Rawalpindi. And uh, most of my um, sort of up till 12 year old was in the city of Rawalpindi and then in Islamabad, which is the capital of Pakistan. And they are both called twin cities because there's only like a distance of six miles. Um, and um, basically, um, sorry, what would you like me to talk about? my childhood. Um, it's just to get a sort of a brief overview, I guess, to kind of break the ice and get us into the flow of discussing. Things. Right, okay. okay. Uh, so I grew up in Punjab in Rawalpindi and then uh, we moved to Islamabad. Um, as I recall, I had I have fond memories of my childhood and growing up in Pakistan, uh, it was um, from the 60s onwards, and then especially in the seven, late 70s and 80s, it was quite politically unstable. Um, the democratic government of Bhutto had been overthrown by the military dictatorship of Ziaul Haq. So there was an era of at least 15 years when, um, which felt quite doom and gloom in a way. Um, and um, because there was martial law, there wasn't any, uh, you know, um, civic, um, uh, freedom of um, speech or other rights for people. So uh, there was also a lot of activism and the political parties um, and also, um, you know, now we call human rights activists, but I would say political activists from a um, wide spectrum of political parties, uh, you know, they were um, um, agitating and protesting. And so I recall that era quite vividly because my older brother was also involved in politics and so was my father, uh, not aligned with a political party, but as activists. So I remember a lot from that era in terms of protests and um, in terms of being aware of uh, my social and political back, you know, environment. Um, also, I think um, this in terms of the school, um, I used to enjoy both arts and sciences, so um, I think um, I, I had a great uh, time at my primary and secondary school. Uh, lots of friends and uh, lots of catching up after school on phone. And my father would say in that era, we didn't have mobile phones, you know, at nowhere there were mobile phones. So there would be one phone in the house. And my father would say, you were there all day with your friends and you still have two hours to catch up with them. What did you not discuss? And I would say, dad, can I just call her back again? And so, you know, the usual girls and chats and um, uh, going for birthday parties to each other's houses. So I have, uh, uh, you know, despite the political unrest and turmoil, I have fond memories of that time as well. And also spending time with family uh, before I sort of then went on to, um, after my high school, went on to do medicine, which of course were quite challenging years in terms of the study and the, you know, it's quite tough um, uh, a curriculum in, in the med school. So 
I think those years, I only remember carrying a bag <laughs> heavy with books and studying most of the time. So yeah, um, I have very fond memories of my childhood, teens and um, university years in Pakistan. Um, and how did you, you said that you were quite interested in the arts when you were younger. What was your first sort of involvement? What was it that drew you to creativity in the arts? Um, I was interested in the arts because uh, of my um, great influence in terms of my parents. Uh, my father was a doctor as well, and um, he was very much into arts in terms of literature. Um, he was a political activist, he was a doctor, and also, um, if you look at the subcontinent, Indian subcontinent, a lot of the poetry uh, by poets um, um, at times is about the pol politics of the country. So he was very much interested in literature and also in theater and film as well. Uh, my mother was very fond of um, watching the uh, films from India and Pakistan and, uh, and fond of uh, semi-classical music and listening to the film songs as well. So I got that from both my parents. The environment was very conducive towards arts. We had a lot of uh, writers coming to our house as, as compared to doctors who my, the profession my father was in, we had more friends who were becoming uh, uh, for, you know, uh, gatherings and poetry gatherings and, uh, uh, and visual artists. So we would have um, uh, writers and artists uh, and theater artists coming to our home. And also we, um, my parents would take us when my exams would permit to, uh, you know, um, performances at, um, at uh, the, we had, we have a big um, theater hall uh, in Rawalpindi called Liakat um, um, Theater. So there we would have different um, performances, whether it was dance, whether it was musical, you know, uh, performance, or uh, also troops coming from other outside the country, from Britain via British Council, from China, because Pakistan and China have great diplomatic, really good diplomatic relationships. So there would be cultural exchanges you would see before, um, you know, when I moved to Britain, I was 26. So before I saw the Chinese uh, advertisement for Chinese um, um, circus and, and acrobats in Edinburgh um, uh, over the last 10 years, I had already seen it in Pakistan while I was growing up. So uh, there was a lot of uh, environment was conducive towards the arts. And that's how I became interested in the arts. In terms of my own um, involvement in arts. I think because um, I used to like drawing, um, I wouldn't say as much as painting, but sketching and drawing. And because I went into medicine, um, I had to put it aside because I wouldn't have much time in terms of my studies. But my interest with literature continued. And also uh, with the, um, in terms of, um, Sorry, I'll take a break because I was, there's one point I was remembering and then I forgot. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, it might come back. I'm just trying to remember. We'll come back later. Um, so just to recap, um, I was um, 
in terms of my real involvement or doing a project in arts, that was that came at a much later stage when I was uh, in Britain, in UK, because like I said, medical studies were very difficult. So I wasn't uh, so much involved in terms of um, a project per se in the arts in Pakistan. But when I moved here, I gradually became uh, involved in the arts or through my work, I used to work as multicultural health facilitator, Greater Glasgow Health Board. And I used to, um, as part of my work that involved with, I think, minority communities and also working with the geographical local healthcare co-ops, which were at that time in the 1990s. Um, and I would work with the local healthcare co-op manager who would manage like one health center and maybe a couple of health centers um, and uh, looking at facilities which were sensitive to cultural needs of ethnic minorities, for example, interpretation services. And during that time, um, I would be uh, suggesting to the managers that if they would like an arts exhibition of uh, artists from Scotland, who um, had uh, you know, looked at the subcontinent in terms of South Asia and had done some paintings uh, relevant to that region or had worked with um, ethnic minority communities in UK or especially in Glasgow um, and uh, painted you know, something which was relevant to them or their experiences. And there was uh, two exhibitions, one which I, um, the local healthcare manager, uh, you know, the authority manager, they, I would uh, commend them because they did come on board and they said, yeah, um, if you have any suggestion, let us know and we'll see if we have some budget for that because they would have some artwork put up. And um, there was one artist who's now uh, from Ireland, uh, Helen McLean, and she had uh, been back from Pakistan um, for after doing a six months, uh, you know, um, visual arts uh, um, attachment, and she had done an exhibition. So I asked her if she still had some of the exhibition, which she did have. And um, I discussed, I saw the pieces of work she had done, and um, I really liked them. And I thought um, this would be really relevant because this health center was actually a new one, at, which is the William Street Clinic. And um, which is just off the motorway nearing Charing Cross. And uh, there was going to be a launch and they were going to have uh, painted um, uh, drawings and pictures by the local uh, children from the local school, the primary school, which were going to be in the downstairs foyer. So she said, actually downstairs, we are having that exhibition at the launch, but in the upstairs, which is mostly staff section or some appointment section, we can have some work there and especially in the staff room where we have our meetings. So um, I said, great. So they call, um, you know, I introduced them and Helen brought some of her work and I left it to them in terms of how they wanted to. So when it was launched, um, uh, the launch happened, I didn't tell my boss <laughs> what I had been up to. Uh, and uh, when the launch happened, uh, I remember my boss and we went to, because we covered that area. So to the launch and um, I was quite, uh, and she said to me, the local uh, uh, co-op manager said, uh, you must see the staff room and uh, see the upstairs uh, landing. 
Um, and we have put up two mosaics as well. And I was like, oh, this sounds really uh, in, in, you know, exciting. So I went and saw the uh, staff room and how they had put up the, uh, the paintings by Helen McLean. And it looked lovely, you know, and they said the staff really liked them as well. And then on the landing, because the William Street first floor landing is such that it has all like, it goes like that. And then there are um, offices of, you know, different departments on either side. And then at the end of the landing, there's like a wall uh, with a, two skylights. And those skylights um, uh, gave great place for the mosaics that Helen had done. And it had seems from Pakistan uh, and also interestingly empowering women as well. So those were like big round, big size, one meter, you know, uh, in diameter uh, mosaics. and um, they had put them up there and they looked beautiful because the sun, the way the sun caught the mosaics. And so that was my first project. And I remember going back to the office and my boss said, you, you got her to do the, uh, put up the exhibition. I said, yeah, isn't it great? And he said, but that's not a part of your work or remit. And I was like, no, this is my personal development, which comes under my, you know, and he was, he laughed. He said, you can't resist it. Can you? I said, well, you know, it's good. It's part of the built environment. Uh, it's enhancing the beauty, but also it's making it welcome for the people in the area who are from diverse ethnic minority groups to see those mosaics. And also the mainstream community, they love them as well. And eventually what happened was after the exhibition was there for six months, the, some of the paintings from the staff room were bought by the staff. They bought them and um, the, then I found from Helen that uh, um, the mosaics, uh, the manager actually told me, she, she, was, she said, Alina, I've bought the two mosaics. And I was like, wow, really? She said, I, yeah, I had some money left. So I bought them. So they are now going to be a permanent, you know, in, in, the, in our uh, health center. So if one goes and sees them, you can go upstairs if you want to say that you want to see the mosaics, then one can go up as well. Uh, so they are now a permanent collection. So I think this is how, if in terms of for me, health and arts were very mutually, uh, you couldn't separate the two, you know. In some ways, you know, we say uh, in communication for a doctor is an art, you know, form. And unless you approach it in that way, uh, you will be very cold and clinical. As a doctor, you need to be compassionate and have empathy with your patient. And that's how you can converse with them um, is a true art form, you know? And that's what, how you would, or you, uh, you should approach it. Uh, so for me, health was very much, um, health and art were very much interlinked and both, how they both enhanced and supported each other. And I carried on um, like also, um, um, in my multicultural and anti-racism training, I would use uh, reading material, which you give at the end of the training. Uh, and I would give them and the staff from the NHS, instead of giving them a long list of books, I would say they're not boring books. I would give them a list, but I would give them actually articles or um, more uh, short stories, which were published in mainstream publications written by ethnic minority writers because in, in a subtle way, it would challenge their stereotype about 
ethnic minorities in terms of not just being shopkeepers, which is nothing wrong with that, but in terms of that they are literate, that they can uh, write literature and convey their feelings. And uh, so it was different ways of utilizing the different art forms in my work. And that was my first main, I would say, project. And that was about 1998 and uh, 97 onwards, 98, 99. And then maybe we can talk about later about the mental health work and the project that I was involved with later. Yeah, that sounds um, like it was a really kind of lovely first project for you to be involved in. Do you think that um, the view of kind of the the benefits of art towards um, general well-being with mental health and, and physical health have um, improved over the years that you've been working in kind of both fields simultaneously? Um, the attitudes towards mental health, have they improved? Is that what you're asking? Um, it was more the, do, do you think that people kind of see the benefits more of art in a, in a health setting more now than, than in the kind of 90s when you were first working on projects? Yes, um, I, I definitely think so. Um, I think at that time, of, um, I mean, even as a medically trained doctor, I... Uh, for me, um, I would follow uh, more of the social model of health. And um, during health promotion as well, for me, it was health is like a lot of doctors or health professionals follow that um, health is, uh, you know, the state of physical, mental and uh, emotional um, social well-being. But for me, it was also uh, following one of the definitions from one of the health promotion specialists, um, it was not just the state of physical, mental, emotional, social well-being, but also enabling a person to fulfill their creative potential. So every one of us has some form of creativity. Now, not I'm not talking about necessarily that every one of us becomes like um, a virtuoso, you know, uh, violin play or, or a pianist, but I'm talking about uh, creativity, which allows them to express themselves, their feelings, emotions. It could be anything from dance to singing, uh, to drawing, painting. So to enable that. And I found that as the years have gone on, um, a lot has happened in context of Scotland, in Glasgow as well. Um, and the recognition has been made impact of arts, whether it's on the social well-being of people uh, who are living of, um, in deprived areas, especially children. And uh, one of the projects is the Sistema uh, project, which is the big noise in the south side of Glasgow, which was influenced, uh, you know, uh, which drew the, uh, all the inspiration and influence from the Venezuelan model where they had this um, project where uh, classical music was taught as in a group uh, to children from deprived areas. So uh, in this model, again, the children come together as a group, they perform together, they practice together, they perform together. So it's not just one child uh, having lessons once a week, the whole group dynamics and also getting training in classical music, which gives you the foundation. And there's so much study happened, which supports that 
in terms of music, it helps them to focus uh, better. It gives them more discipline and they perform uh, well and uh, in school in terms of their studies. Now, not everyone will be getting top grades. I'm just saying that it's, it's about improving uh, the, the uh, academic ability they already have uh, with music and and the, and the and also importantly um, the number of times they get that exposure per week so like big noise uh, they go three days three evenings a week and that's crucial you know and also its impact on the antisocial behavior with a lot of times teenagers have so yes I've seen over the years projects like this and then there's also a lot happening in the NHS and now when you go into the hospitals you will see different exhibitions coming from community from projects like uh, uh, projectability being exhibited in the hospitals um, and also um, um, three nearly three years ago my mother was actually now well in hospital and it, she was in the elderly um, care unit at uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital and in there they had um, every uh, ward at um, they had one sort of a big um, room for waiting room and but it was set up um, next to a kitchen and it was set up more like a social you know meet social gathering room so there would be tables and chairs but they also had uh, once a week an an artist who would come and do sessions with the patients so whichever whoever was interested uh, they could come and join the session they would, could do drawing or you know anything that and of course she and they were there were no one couple of them who were running the workshop and they would work with them and uh, and these women were elderly but they they were involved they enjoyed it and some of them we have to realize are in these units in terms of elderly for more than two you know two weeks at a time so um all of that uh, you know they look forward to that session so you you uh, there are practical examples now that a lot of um um, um, uh, the, the, um, the importance of art in terms of patients rehabilitation um, is much more recognized now. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that it's been heartening to see that. Of course, there's a lot more which can be done. There's always funding cutbacks with recession and all of that. And COVID, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has again uh, dented all these initiatives because now there, there are so many cutbacks and uh, uh, of course then a lot of activities have gone up gone on zoom and other such social apps so that people i mean i work with the uk asian film festival so we have been having our um, uh, film club uh, monthly meeting via zoom with the group because we watch a film um, or two every month. And then we all come to discuss and review it. And same way there are other activities like South Asians have what is called Mushaira, uh, poetry readings gatherings. So I've seen world over, uh, you know, poetry reading gatherings have been happening via Zoom. In some ways this hadn't happened before, but now certainly, you know, um, events which used to be happening live and sometimes they would be streamed via Facebook are now being streamed so you, uh, you know, globally, and there was last month, um, the first global Urdu Mushaira from India. And again, because of the Zoom facility, I could watch it while it was happening. 
so uh, i think um, we have during this covid we have learned to use technology in a way which we didn't use before but i also feel um, people are still very isolated and that isolation even with the technology it doesn't take away that aspect uh, people still want to meet and uh, you know in person in terms of going to these events so but again um, uh, like i said there are these uh, different uh, technologies that we have are now at our disposal that post covid can be used to reach out people who do, who can't maybe come out you know and who were previously hard to reach um, um, so i think there are both positives and negatives because of the covid um, so i hope uh, it covers that uh, in terms of the long term uh, use of arts um, i certainly see it's uh, there is more happening definitely yeah definitely it's um it really is nice to see that kind of appreciation of um you know, the value of creativity and, and self-expression, as you were yes. saying. Yes. Um, could you maybe discuss a little bit more about um, your experiences of art in a mental health-specific um, kind of environment? Um, in terms of mental health and arts? Uh, yeah, um, I think um, when I did my um, first job in Pakistan, uh, one of the, I, I a lot of times feel that a lot of these things ha which happen in those formative years of my education and later work sort of pushed me into the, uh, not just pushed, but formed my uh, views of um, how uh, we can, you know, uh, utilize medicine and arts uh, to the best of um our knowledge and capability, but for the benefit of people. I don't want to sound like I'm sounding like a saint. I was going to avoid saying humankind, but um, in those formative years, I think especially when I did my first job in Pakistan, in, in, it was in psychiatry. And it was a three month job with alternating with a three months in medicine board. And uh, in psychiatry, I was very lucky. My um, the consultant, the head of department of the uh, Rawalpindi General Hospital Psychiatry Department, uh, he was uh, Dr. Malik Mubashir. He actually passed away last month, so we were quite sad. And it took me back to all that time and that the formative years of my approach towards mental health and uh, um, and of course arts. Um, he was uh, quite a maverick and eccentric uh, person. And he took very different um, approach towards mental health living in Pakistan, like a third world country. Uh, even though he had received a lot of his training in Britain. Um, and I feel he was a go-getter, you know, he believed in what he was doing and uh, he was very tenacious. And, but as a very junior, house officer, you know, you're always in awe of this person, you're scared. As soon as you hear, oh, he's coming to do the ward round, you're scared, you're like, oh my God, I hope all my notes are in order and everything, you know. Uh, but he was um, very meticulous in terms of, and I'm saying some small, uh, some details I'm giving, saying, going to mention because although it doesn't seem relevant, but actually it became relevant over the years. 
he instilled in terms of what I think my training was that he was very particular about uh, like, for example, the history taking of the patient, the communication, the rapport, and um, that training actually, sorry. Yeah. Um, that helped me to, you know, look at, um, because in psychiatry, it's a much more detailed history as compared to when you are working in medicine or a surgical unit. Uh, so that detailed history, I had to look at the personal, social history of the person, their emotional well-being as well. So that enabled me to look at uh, the patient as a whole, not just that he had come with a tummy ache, so let's find the source of the tummy ache, you know, or uh, they were in a road traffic accident and they've got a broken arm, so we'll fix that and, you know, end of it. So it, it uh, helped me to look at uh, and build my sort of um, um, approach towards a patient in a much more holistic way. And also, um, it was a WHO unit for uh, mental health education and research. So he was running or had developed projects in the department, how to train, for example, it gave education about mental health as well as stigma, as well as mental health diseases, their signs and symptoms to high school children. So they were running programs, um, which were pilot programs in regional smaller town um, cities, sorry, not towns, uh, schools. Um, as well as they would work with the, what we call the faith healers, you know, in Pakistan or um, in the subcontinent and working with them because they are the only ones who work like in villages or small towns are, are there. And a lot of people come to them because of superstitions or whatever their, you know, belief might be readily they go there rather than they would go to a doctor, especially with, to do with mental health. So he would work with them and give them training. He would say to them, I don't want to kill your business. I'm not here to do that. I'm not going to say whatever you give to them doesn't work because they do need uh, a spiritual support and emotional support, which you are providing. What I would like you to do is if we give you some training, if you can see the symptoms and signs and know the symptom signs, for example, for depression, for schizophrenia, for uh, manic depressive or epilepsy, um, refer that patient to us. And so uh, there was these couple of faith healers who came on board and they would then refer, you know, the patients uh, and the doctors won't say, oh, don't go back to those people, you know, those faith healers. No, no they would say, they, they would, if they have referred, they would then look, uh, you know, treat them or whatever was necessary. The school uh, experience was very interesting, which, um, I remember going to uh, one of their performances. As a junior officer, I wasn't allowed to go on field trips. So it was my seniors who went for the training and everything. But I was like, always, when can we go? So they had a um, uh, annual performance day for us. So uh, I, uh, my, you know, my senior said, you will be able to go and your colleague, because we were the junior house officer. So they said, you both will be able to come for that now. So I was really excited. And we went to that school. Now I hadn't realized um, one of the teachers from the school, her mother had been admitted. I did know her, recognize her then, but her mother had been admitted to our hospital department 
uh, and she was elder, she was suffering from depression. So um, because I was looking after the female ward, so I had of course looked after her and had talked to the teacher as well, just giving a bit of background. So when we went to that a performance. Uh, of course, this the, it involved school trip. Involved. We went to the different classrooms, and uh, you know the girls. Uh, you could ask a question from the girls. Okay, tell us the symptoms of this illness, and they could tell us in Urdu, which is the national language, as well as in English, and talked how they were finding these um, uh, sessions and training uh, in terms of uh, increasing their knowledge and also um, in terms of stigma of mental health. And I found, of course, young children are much more open once they get that information and education. So they were saying that because they were getting uh, the medical you know, uh, knowledge in terms of what mental health was, as well as mental health related diseases, because I'm separating the two, and uh, it doesn't, uh, if you don't have mental, uh, uh, if you don't have a disease, doesn't mean you don't have mental health. Just like we have physical health, we, our, our mental health is there constant as well, and different factors influence it. So they would talk very positively about how it has empowered them with that knowledge. And a lot of them uh, were able to help their families um, if they recognize someone in their extended family having symptoms of certain thing, and especially epilepsy, which has a big taboo um, in society. And, and it's, if not treated, you know, it's, it, it can uh, affect the families in a very um, devastating manner. So uh, it was really heartening to see how they had, uh, um, they had taken on board uh, that aspect. And then they had done, uh, they had set, uh, done a play, a theater play. So we went and uh, we all sat down at the end after lunch was the play and uh, the teacher came and, and she said, how are you, Dr. Lena? I was like, oh, she recognizes me. And then I remembered, you know, I said, oh, hi, how are you? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. So the play happened. She sat next to me and the play started and we were, so the play actually had a scene of our hospital ward. And there's a doctor, a female doctor and patient comes and sees her. And they had called the female doctor, Dr. Alina. I, I was like, suddenly, I first I didn't catch the name. And then one of my colleagues, senior colleagues turned around and said, it's you. And then she said, yes, we called her Dr. Alina because you know how well you looked after me. I'm sorry, I'm, it's not a praise for me, but it was like, so, you know, as a young person, uh, um, as a young, very young doctor, you know, you are like, oh, Oh right, okay. I have, I'm having some impact, but it was um, uh, it was like uh, it was one level. It was embarrassing as well because like oh my god that she's called the doctor Dr. Alina because of me. So, uh, but it was good because they done apart from this aspect. Of course, the play was about how they uh, how mental health illness is perceived within the community. And that girl's message about it shouldn't be a stigma or taboo. And the same thing as we talk uh, in terms of how um, it should be looked after. And also if there is a, a mental disease, then you know there is um, hope in terms of treatment and all the rest. I'm talking in context of a third world country. So yeah, so it was, um, I think that was my, um, uh, sort of starting point, and also how they had used the theater for conveying that message, which later I then, when I moved to Britain, I saw that similar thing happening, but within a community setting. 
And at that time I went to attend a play which was done by Glasgow Association for Mental Health. And uh, I think um, there was an, another organization, I can't remember the name, but they had jointly done this community play, a theater play where uh, they looked at mental health and stigma and within the black and ethnic minority communities, what were the challenges, the cultural aspects of stigma and raising awareness about positive mental health. So I think after that, it was about 1998 that I saw that play. And again, um, you know, I'd seen uh, the play in Pakistan in terms of the girls' school, that was 1990. And then 98, again, I saw that community theater, how uh, they were addressing uh, mental health and stigma. Uh, also during that time, of course, then I moved to Britain and worked with, um, um, in health promotion department and also then for the Greater Glasgow, uh, sorry, NHS Trust as, uh, in my role as multicultural health facilitator, I was working with all the communities from what were termed as black and minority ethnic communities in Glasgow. And um, we were also working, um, at, we also worked with the Glasgow um, Healthy City Project uh, sorry, Glasgow Healthy City Partnership. And they had set up um, different groups and one was called the Black and Minority Women's Health Group. And under that we had the Black and Ethnic Minority Women's Health Group of the Healthy City Partnership. So one, I, I, was, uh, I was a member of the group and then one year I was the chair as well. And during that time we had the 50th anniversary of Women's Health Celebration. Uh, of the women's health movement in Glasgow, which was being celebrated by the Center for Women's Health. Now, women's health had been a, a long-term movement, health movement, political movement had been there in Glasgow for a while. So they uh, were, um, um, and you will see the, the posters at, in the STUC building on Woodlands Road as well, in terms of women's health and women's empowerment uh, with regards to Glasgow and Clyde. So they wanted to celebrate 50 years of women's health and that movement uh, with, um, and part of that movement as the black and minority ethnic group, um, we were also asked to, uh, you know, develop some projects or some celebratory events. And one of the things, um, and there was some small amount of funding as well, but because we were a group, so we came from different um, organizations, we, we, we would always be able to pull together in terms of our time resource. So we started to think about what we can do to celebrate this event and to um, you know, bring together um, women from BME communities. And one of the ideas was to work, uh, there were two ideas we thought of working on. One was in terms of physical health and in that, we felt women, um, something to motivate women to take up more physical exercise. And the other one was to look at mental health and stigma within the black and minority ethnic communities. And in the mental health project, and a colleague of mine suggested we develop a poster. So we both then um, decided to, you know, uh, communities that we will consult and set up a project. In this project, I then uh, worked with the same 
artist I mentioned whose exhibition later was held at William Street Clinic, Helen McLean. She had experience of working with community groups and doing arts workshops. So I contacted her and um, basically we uh, discussed what we were trying to explore and discuss with the women. And uh, it was about stigma in terms of mental health. What, what did they think about mental health? The term itself, uh, not even mental disease or anything, just the term mental health, what images it brings to their mind. A lot of people think when you mention mental health, they would say, yeah, but that's, I'm not ill. And that's not, you know, that's the sort of image people have about mental health or that's the way they think. They immediately, they associate mental health Oh, that means either you are mad or you have some sort of psychological problem. So we wanted to explore that and preferably in their own languages as well. So there would be an interpreter present. And we consulted seven women's groups in Glasgow. Um, there was groups from Pakistani community, Indian community, Chinese community, African Caribbean community, Arab community. One was a mixed group. And I'm trying to remember the seventh, uh, Sikh women's group. So uh, we had these seven groups of women and they were women who were uh, either already in within the community as part of the organizations or there were women who were constituted only as a women's group. So for example, for the Sikh women, we went to the daycare center, Mail Milab, um, and they, they, we asked them if some women would like to participate in that workshop. So these women who were members, you know, they volunteered, they said, we would like to participate. And then there was another group, which was the Indians women group, which was a group which meant monthly. So that was already existing. And again, it, so uh, the groups were diverse in terms of how they had been set up and we consulted them and Helen would, um, discuss with them for the term mental health. And one of the things for us was in terms of, apart from the, the word mental health, to give them a positive, uh, you know, in, um, I would say uh, knowledge or uh, not even knowledge, to give them if they had more of negative um, image of mental health, the word or meaning, uh, to leave them more with a positive feedback, positive words, and also how as women they they saw that uh, they could help each other in terms of mental health. And um, uh, finally, um, Helen then took away all the you know the images that she um, she had discussed and and she put together a poster, and um, and basically we then. Um, it was scanned and it was printed. And um, it uh, depicted, um, I have a, a, a pic, the poster, but I haven't taken it out to show you. Maybe when we pause, I can bring it and show you as well in the um, uh, interview. So basically the poster uh, conveyed a message, uh, positive messages, and we had them translated. We had, uh, a shorter word, uh, you know, message of women's health matters and English. But then around the whole poster, it was an A3 size poster. We had positive words message going around in, uh, I think it was six community different languages. So it wasn't just one, it was in English. And, and the message uh, was about how they could help. So it was about supporting, caring, talking and sharing. And so uh, we then launched it in 1998 
on International Women's Day as part of the 50 years of women's health in Glasgow. And it was very well received. The women's loved the images. And we, um, being a very small project, we did then a year later went go back and talk to the groups again about what was their experience in, in part of that conversation. Were they happy with the final image result? And we had a, uh, evaluation published as well. So that was my, uh, I would say, uh, first uh, main or major um, men, um, project uh, with regards to mental health and well-being in Glasgow. Um, it, when you were kind of speaking about the, um, the different sort of um, groups and um, being from different cultures, but also um, the aspect of being women as well. Um, it did make me think about, um, I just want to ask, do you think there is um, enough of a sort of intersectional approach in mental health? Um, so taking into account mm -hmm. um, people's ethnic background and gender, or do you think that's that's not really taken into account enough, even nowadays? Um, I think in terms of the intersectional approach, one thing I would mention, just in relation to the poster project, when we had the evaluation, I suggested to them that we are limited by funding, but also we don't have to go back to each individual group. For the evaluation and for running the focus group with them, we should actually bring all the women together. They all came together on International Women's Day at the launch. And that was fine, great, and they enjoyed. But that was more of speeches, the launch, and you know, then the food. We want and so for evaluation, I said, let's bring them all back together, but at one way, you know, one place. Let them also meet each other and talk about their experience, you know, experiences. So because um, it's again, like um, the ethnic minorities are not a homogenous group. So they have not been talking to each other about this issue within those communities. So why don't we do that? So we had um, uh, all the six groups or seven groups, women invited, and they came um, uh, for the focus group day and the evaluation day. And also uh, for food, then it was like, oh, we'll order vegetarian or should it be halal? And so I said, well, we can order that, but we are going to get food which will come from each of the communities. So we had food from Pakistani and Indian. We had Chinese food. We had from African and Caribbean kids. So a lot of Pakistani and Indian women were like, they were having plantain and this chicken, which was done by the African uh, chef. And they were like, haven't tried this before. So they were, you know, discussing recipes and things like that. So it was, and, and they were saying like, we are going to have food coma now because it's like, you know, so much different, uh, so much, uh, you know, variety, but also everyone likes all the different foods. So it was like, yes, we don't want, uh, let's appreciate that food forms a huge part of our day-to-day -day life as well in terms of most of these cultures. So let's bring it all together. And uh, I think at that point, um, uh, people later, uh, the feedback was from the groups as well as from the evaluator, that was good to actually to bring all of them together because they all then talked about, and even in the focus groups, we didn't have just one group, person from one community. We had people, women from all different communities. We had four, I think, focus groups or three. And then 
uh, each group had women from diverse background, you know, communities. So it was them talking to each other about that. Oh, in our community, this is what uh, you know mental health is like, and these are the challenges we have. What's positive, and so that was that. That was quite um, empowering and enriching for them that they were hearing each other's perspectives as well, not just one community. In terms of what you're saying, in terms of mental health projects and intersectionality and i think yes there is still a need um when we are developing projects to have more women's voices heard to have more um i think from bme communities i i feel that even at that time we were talking about um representation of women like for example um the the Greater Glasgow Health Board has an advisory committee which represents different people from, you know, the um, community from public. And in that as well, we were saying why do, we shouldn't have just those usual community leaders or community representatives, which we see on nearly every other community uh, committee. Um, how are we engaging with the young youth? How are we engaging with the women? Um, and uh, also, of course, from BME communities, but people who are, who are maybe more representative or can, we can bring in those diverse voices which we don't hear. Um, and a lot of women, I find uh, what happens uh, is that in terms of to deal with mental, mental health, especially working with daycare centers, what used to happen was that um, we would have these um, consultation day and um, some of the men would say, oh, you know, we know how to look after our elderly and we, uh, we our cultural values teach us to, uh, you know, uh, treat our elderly well, our parents and we look after them and all that. And I was like, yes, but that is still, but who is looking after them? You know, it's the women. So you are leaving that, I wouldn't say because it's like not politically correct for the communities to hear the word burden, but who is left with that ultimate burden of being a carer? Now, you might not call it burden, but you might just call it, you know, responsibility. It's the women. A lot of women are either stop working, go part-time when the time comes to look after an elderly parent or, uh, her own or for that matter the husband's so therefore there are genuine needs which are required for their mental health you know well-being as well as being able to physically look after an elderly and so we started to say well actually um white community the mainstream community uh, or the scottish community they also look after their parents it's not the it's like a myth that nursing homes here are full of parents who have been abandoned by their children. Not everyone is abandoning their parents. They, uh, it's, uh, they are used to maybe this more because it's been an industrial, uh, there's been an industrial revolution. It's an industrial society. So they have moved with time. Whereas we, a lot of Asians who moved or ethnic minorities moved for economic immigrants and might move from more agrarian agricultural societies where the system was still, uh, you know, um, where you were able to 
look after parents within an, an extended or joint family system. Now here, I would sometimes laugh and say, well, there in India, your wife didn't, for example, work, your mother didn't work uh, if they were from middle class, but you want your daughter or daughter-in-law to be working from nine till five, and then also be at home, be the perfect, you know, Asian, uh, perfect docile housewife who's cooking, cleaning and doing everything else. Whereas the son doesn't have to do any of that because there isn't any expectation. So how do you expect the woman to do all this? And how do you think it's not going to affect their mental health uh, if they come with depression or other uh, symptoms of, you know, psychosomatic symptoms? You know, you, you you can't just say that oh because we look after our families, so therefore we have we do not need any support from the council because actually you are abandoning the women in your culture. So we said, no, we actually want to consult with women as well. And I know the council had quite a few carers group for consultations as well, where I know women went and because they were the carers and to look at their needs and stuff. And I also sort of started to say to the people who were supposedly the community leaders or representatives. And I would say that actually, uh, if there are issues, we can't just, you, as a community, you shouldn't just come to the consultations thinking, I'm going to keep uh, the respect of our community. If I say these things, you know, then our respect will be lost or our honor will be lost because there is no honor in this in terms of not asking for help, not asking for support. Um, and if there are things in place, you should be asking for support. Yes, elderly people might, no want to come to daycare center because you know there might be stigma of it oh i'm coming to the daycare center because my family couldn't look after my, me whereas that's not the case uh, a lot of people go to the daycare centers because they get company socialization and they also get a lot of times like i remember from our team from the nhs greater glasgow trust um, the dietitian choose to go uh, and she used to work with the uh, chefs of the daycare centers to see that the food, give them recipes, work with them uh, to so that the food that they cooked was healthy for the elderly didn't have, especially, you know, they, if they have uh, quite a few had high blood pressure or diabetes, if those were the issues, that it was not, they weren't getting very high salt content food or very oily food, or for that matter, very salty food, you know. Uh, and I'm sorry, and in terms of sweet, uh, if they were using alternatives. So it was about healthy eating. So we, our dietitian would work with them. We, we would have the exercise classes for them, yoga classes for them. So they were getting a lot of these, um, uh, this input in the daycare elderly centers, which was for, the, for their health and it was conducive to them. So we were, uh, so I think in a lot of ways, although we feel these are, um, might not be interlinked, but I think these matters are very much interlinked, um, how the ethnic minorities perceive their cultural values and want to hold on to some because um, that's our respect or honor, or that was, is the perceived role of a man and woman within that social 
setup of uh, certain community as uh, uh, to them actually um, asking for more help and, and utilizing those facilities um, because it all impacts on our mental health and well-being if you feel you are supported. So whether it's to look after and engage with elderly or for that matter, any other you know, age group, um, I think is crucial. And I think also the, the other side of the spectrum is there are people from ethnic minorities who do ask for help, but sometimes don't get the help they require. So it's looking at how the different uh, organizations, whether it's the uh, city council, different departments, or for example, if it's the NHS, how um, it um, gets representation and what you're saying intersectionality in terms of representation from women's women and young people and elderly so that the services are more you know um, ta tailored to their needs um, and yes um, I, I think I'm not working now in a hospital setting so I can't say but knowing from my mother uh, who's elderly uh, you know that there can be services uh, you know, which could be provided for her, but there are services which are there and, and, and she benefits from them. So yes, I think representation, um, I wouldn't say it's bad, but I think that uh, there is need for continued improvement and involvement from these groups. I hope after my long chat, I've answered some of this question. Then yeah, yeah, it's all been um, incredibly helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I'd just like to ask um, a little bit about um, uh, some of the funding. Um, you've spoken about kind of cuts to uh, funding for um, various projects that you've worked on or in different services. Um, so who were the sort of main um, funders of some of the work that you've done um, with mental health and the arts? Well, when I mentioned funding cuts, I'm talking about coronavirus and recession. I'll come back to in terms of my work, um, but in terms of um, the cutbacks to mental health services, we always see the pattern um, since 1990s that whenever there is a funding cut, whichever excuse there is, no, I wouldn't say excuse, but genuine reason as well, is usually the the groups which are the priority groups whose funding is cut first for example black minority ethnic communities disabled groups or lesbian and gay services now recently in terms of mental health services again the city council's funding for um, um, children in need such as uh, services for autistic uh, children has decreased uh, they were some of the funding which used to be the families would get for certain services that's no longer available. Um, of course, um, again, uh, funding for uh, elderly, which was the home care package. Again, some of that has had cutbacks. Um, I, my mother was in hospital two years ago and um, the uh, nurses which used to come to help her, um, they were rushed off their feet. I mean, they had like 20 minutes per client and that doesn't include them getting from one to the next client's house and you know it's just no one um it's just breaks your heart in terms of the the hard work they are doing and, the, and then the funding cuts because of the lack of 
you know, staffed or lack of the, the, what is, uh, what would run a smooth service in terms of the number of staff. So uh, I think in terms of mental health, uh, again, that has a knock-on effect on the families and, and, and also the elderly. And like I said, um, in terms of uh, services for autistic and other learning disability children, uh, some of those were cut as well. So, um, we, we sort of, sometimes it depends what makes the news, but otherwise you hear it, you know, from a, a member of certain groups and, and I sort of then find out this funding has been cut back as well. And that funding has had been cut back. In terms of my own work, um, I don't work in the NHS anymore. I work with the UK Asian Film Festival. Again, that a festival, which was started by Tongues on Fire Film, uh, company. And before that, even um, I used to have an organization which I found set up and uh, was artistic director for that. It was called Here Productions, H-E-E-R. Here is the name of a, um, a protagonist or female protagonist uh, of a Sufi uh, uh, love story, um, which was set at that time in uh, Punjab, which is now in Pakistan, that area. And it's about a strong woman who during the Mughal era um, is forced into a marriage and how she gets it annulled, but also in terms of her spirit. And, and sometimes the here, because it's a Sufi poem and story, so and the here can be your uh, ultimate uh, sort of love, spiritual love, and also stands for uh, fighting against injustice. So I was inspired that story. So I called the company Heal Productions. And, and that was again my work in terms of my public health medicine, which I um, actually did my master's in and specialized in um, because I was, was uh, interested in continuing my public health work with regards to women's health and mental health. So. I wanted to be working in the arts as well on a professional level. So I went and did a, a training in production with uh, BBC Scotland, which was over nine months and then set up this company as well. And I brought together my knowledge and skills as a public health specialist, as well as an arts curator. And uh, I used to coordinate film festivals. Again, um, these were around issue-based, uh, you know, screening issue-based films or um, holding exhibitions, uh, which uh, were represent representative of the um, film culture of Pakistan. At that time, we were trying to work with Pakistani communities. So we had the first ever Pakistani Film Media and Arts Festival in Glasgow and Edinburgh. That was in 2005. So, um, during all that time, we had funding at that time it was Scottish Arts Council, there was Glasgow City Council and um, other sponsors like BBC Scotland. And I would say over the years, uh, the funding um, has changed slightly as well because uh, Glasgow uh, Scottish Arts Council became Creative Scotland. So it had different focus in terms of how the both the film and arts act within the organization. I think working with Tongues on Fire over the last three years, uh, yes, it's a challenge. Um, 
I wouldn't say our funding has been cut. It's more about I've been getting to increase the funding in Scotland. And it's the usual channels of, um, uh, like I said, from Creative Scotland and other sponsors. The recession doesn't help because people are not so keen to spend money on advertising or on uh, sponsoring in terms of the private sector because they are trying to, you know, uh, maybe look at more campaigns via social media rather than, you know, a printed poster or um, a brochure for that matter. So there are challenges in that way. In terms of mental health projects, I think, uh, like I said, there are projects like within the charity sector, like Glasgow Association for Mental Health and others, where they have uh, maybe projects, uh, funding for only three-year projects, you know, where they might have had uh, funding where it was more long-term, now they have more, ring, you know, uh, fun, uh, less funding. And if it is there, it's only for, you know, uh, a shorter period than it was before. So yes, the pot of money has gone smaller. Of course, uh, with the recession, I think um, the third sector um, and social enterprises, uh, for them, the pot of money has gone smaller. So a lot of times it has, in a way, forced organizations to maybe work together and then apply for funding. Uh, in collab uh, as a joint project. Um, so people have tried to work around, you know, innovative way um, to uh, still get their services um, with regards to mental health to the people. Uh, but I, I, I still think there, there is an impact um, on the services as well as um, the service providers from the charity sector. Um, again, within councils, like I said, different departments have had funding cuts. So like I, I was saying, there's certain funding for aut aut autistic children services, which are not no longer available. Um, it's about then uh, has someone done an audit or a review? Um, I'm not, I don't, you know, have, I'm not privy to that. In terms of the film festival, um, since COVID, uh, we have had, of course, we couldn't hold the 2020 film festival. The restriction in Glasgow happened the same day as our festival was going to start. So like the Friday, and actually we had a film screening. It was the only the first one. And the London-based film festival, you know, the UK Asian film festival, because it tours, so I am the Scotland coordinator. UK Asian film festival in London was starting on the 25th and we had a pre-fest screening on the 13th of March in Glasgow, which we held and then the lockdown happened. And the London Film Festival, two weeks of it was canceled. Um, and so we didn't have a 2020 film festival and we have been having different events via Zoom. Uh, the funding, there has been funding issued um, as with a lot of art related organizations, which is for COVID related, uh, you know, um, um, uh, funding in terms of, uh, getting organizations which the funders find are um, financially viable. Uh, so they have given them some funding so that tides them over the period. So UK Asian Film Festival has had some funding and we have used different approaches to keep our activities ongoing uh, with some outdoor uh, film screening in London. Um, 
in collaboration with uh, another organization and that was also very well received but again that's limited to maybe a summer film screening time um, so yeah and um just to um to sort of touch back on um something that we were speaking about earlier um how did um the audiences in your um mental health project around um the anniversary of women's health um how did the audiences in that project respond to it did you find that there were any um stigmas that were challenged or um, perceptions were sort of changed around the project? Um, bearing in mind that the workshops were run by Helen and only maybe a couple were attended. One, I attended one, another colleague. Uh, the feedback later that we had was that I think the woman found it um, some, I would say, would find, depending on the level uh, already they were at in terms of their perception and what they thought about the term mental health and then in terms of this issue of stigma. Um, and the third aspect of how women can help each other and uh, uh, in terms of uh, whether it's stress or mental health related uh, issues. I think some who had some already some awareness, uh, they were encouraged to come together to discuss this. Well, others who maybe didn't have the academic awareness, let's say, put it that way. We are all aware of our mental health, but maybe not in very academic terms. I found it empowering uh, that, you know, uh, these terms can be explained and also that um, they are not negative. Like I said, the perception of mental health is taken immediately as an illness. So just to uh, dissect that and say, well, mental health is not ill we're not talking about illness it's about something we all have uh, and then go like what and you know taking uh, being even though they had realized it maybe all their life and again it's cultural uh, nuances with language how the term mental health health translates in for example in urdu in punjabi in chinese in um, um, Arabic. So being more familiar with the nuances of the term as well, and bringing those out that, okay, in, in your language, community language, what does this actually mean? And is, is that how maybe that community language hasn't taken it forward in terms of uh, the stigma issue? So it was dissecting the term and, and uh, maybe, you know, also the women uh, taking ownership of it finally that yes we can talk about mental health it's normal we all have it so yes uh, I think they found it a very positive experience uh, as with anything there is always the question of what uh, not you know follow up and because it was a one-off project we were like um, how do we that's why we wanted for them to have something to take away and that's why we had the poster and the launch because he felt we are not offering them like a monthly on running uh, or you know ongoing uh, discussion group on mental health and someone coming and talking with them or facilitating it so 
these are the challenges there because you know you go and work with the community and that's why I, in, in working in the nhs i was always very cognizant of about this and i used to say no i'm not going to go uh, if there is something a policy document comes out or we have to consult with the ethnic minority communities as well and i was like at times i said no i'm sorry they're they, they are suffering from consultation fatigue because they are consulted so many time and time again but then they don't see any follow-up and they are also like okay what's the point you hear our voices but not act on it or you know the, so our needs are still not being met so the, a lot of times i said there is going to is consultation fatigue consultation apathy uh so being very aware of that and 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 saying like okay we have very limited funds because it's just a celebration event we can't do much and maybe we have we are being too ambitious but we also have to think about these women that they are not left high and dry that you know okay that's it thank you Barbara. so that's why we had the launch event to celebrate that you know their contribution and also bring other women together that uh, these women had uh, been brave to discuss this in in a safe environment and then this is what we have got to you know take away and a lot of women said i have put it up in my um uh, in my house a couple of them said i put it up on my bathroom door so we were you know we all sort of burst out laughing because like okay you sit on the loo and that's what you see then you know <laughs> it was so funny and i i, I teased them i said Huh, I felt so bad now. I felt so low. That's the respect you are giving to our poster. And they were like, no, no, no. It's because that's what, you know, my family will see them as well or are forced to read that. So we all had a good laugh how women had put up it up in there, whether it was kitchen or other spaces, but the bathroom one was just was so funny. So it was, um, and they aesthetically liked it as well. Um, do you want to give a second? I'll bring the poster. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, just let me bring the poster. Sorry about this. So now let's talk about the poster. So this is the poster. And because it's half screen, you'll see. So see, this is, uh, if I bring it a bit closer without the glare. So here, this is the logo for the Greater Glasgow Health Board. And then this is the Greater Glasgow Services logo. And then we had this a flower with a central heart. And because when the women talked about their identity, they talked about their uh, communities and heritage, but they all identified as being Glaswegian. So we had this sweet heart and heart that this is what brings them now all together. They had very strong uh, identity and links being in, um, sorry, this one is a bit uh, being in uh, being Glaswegian and uh, Scottish. So this is like the, ha uh, the hands which bring them all together. These are hands from different communities. And then we had the designs on them, uh, like we had, uh, this one was from African community. The print then this is paisley or that uh, almond shaped design from Indian community. So these this is yin and yang from Ch for Chinese community. So we had the like the henna painting designs to represent each community. 
And again, like I said, the big heart bringing them together. And then this one says uh, women's health. So you will see it upside down, but it says women's health. And this logo was the Black and Ethnic Minority Women's Health logo at the bottom. And so, and then we, of course, uh, how we feel matters. I think it's going, you're using it the wrong way, I think because of the, yeah. Anyway, so then at the end it says how we feel matters. That was what the women want to say that how women feel it matters. And then again, this is the logo for the 15 years of women's health. Oh, sorry, 15, I, I've been saying 50. Sorry about that. It's 15 years, not 50. But uh, it was the 15 years of women's health. And now you can see at the bottom, uh, there is message in e different languages, Hindi, uh, Punjabi, Gurmukhi, Urdu, and then Arabic and Chinese. Um, and all of these, the translation is of how we feel matters. So that's translated in this, Hamare our feelings are important in all different languages. And then around, we had the four words we all asked them to choose how they could support each other. See all around it goes. And this is saying uh, to support each other, we, uh, it's about um, listening, sharing, talking, and supporting. So those all went around and that's the poster. So if you want, I can send you one. I still have maybe a few. <laughs> yeah, that would be um, fantastic. I think that um, if you'd be able to send that to Ailey, that would be amazing because we're, we're planning on doing um, an exhibition. Um, right. So that would, yeah, that would be fantastic and exactly the kind of thing that we were talking about with sort of representation yeah. of different communities. I think that would be a really positive thing to bring into it. Great. I'm glad you liked it. So yeah, it was, um, uh, this was something positive for them to take. And uh, the follow up and evaluation we did, again, we gave that to the relevant agencies as well. Um, and like I said, we were very aware that we don't want to feel make the woman think it was a like a consultation thing and then nothing is followed. We made it clear to them in the beginning that, you know, we want to uh, have in this project, uh, come and talk with you to talk about this term and maybe help you to take this message to your wider social network as well and empower and, and challenge stereotypes, uh, but also to bring together women on International Women's Day uh, to celebrate um, women's health and mental health. Um, and uh, you know, making them realize that it's okay to celebrate mental health and well-being, and that we will have an evaluation. So, um, and basically, so, so after that, I am not, I don't know. I mean, the health board and the different departments, like Black and Ethnic Minority uh, Department, they did uh, develop later on, uh, it, as you know, takes years. So later on, further down the line, after I think uh, five, six years, they did develop a manual for um, frontline staff working with uh, BME communities with regards to mental health. And uh, it was like a handbook. So um, it was launched by the health board, but then we suggested being the trust that it should go to frontline staff at the health centers or 
the CPNs and stuff. So things have happened uh, since, you know, that, and then that led to that happening. But that information about uh, how well that manual has been utilized, I'm not um, aware. I mean, I haven't sort of followed that up now because I went into the arts and started working um, in that. So yes, and that was um, how the poster was and uh, yeah. Um, well, I think um, that's been really fantastic. And I think that we've kind of covered um, pretty much every aspect um, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, so I suppose before we go, um, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything that you think we I have 10 about? years of my work now that I like to add, which I left out. <laughs> <laughs> you should bring two mugs of coffee. Okay. <laughs> Laura, um, I think I'll briefly talk about my work um, with the heat productions and when I worked full-time in the arts um, and as well as uh, what I'm currently doing with the UK Asian Film Festival. With heat productions, like I said, I had brought together, um, I wanted to work with uh, the public health uh, definition, which I had mentioned to you earlier about enabling people to fulfill their creative potentials. And for me, that was in terms of focusing for the ethnic minority communities initially. Um, we were hoping to, and you know, there's a lot of jargon with different funders. So it was looking at increasing the audience levels at mainstream film screenings and arts related events, but also increasing participation of ethnic minorities in the arts. Like I said, both at audience and practitioner as well. So whether it was encouraging or empowering um, or giving opportunities to young people from these communities to uh, look at a possible career in the arts or to utilize arts as an additional uh, support. Uh, for example, uh, picking up learning uh, video um, camera, make video making uh, skills. I mean, I'm talking about uh, 2005 and now people are making videos with their iPhones and you know uh, Samsung and so it's at that time that technology wasn't there so it was about you know having uh, young people uh, tell their stories and and feel more empowered um, using that medium again looking at other art forms like visual arts and stuff uh, so initially we worked for the first three years looking at Pakistani community because different funders had highlighted need uh, for work with that community. And we decided with different projects that we ran from uh, in collaboration with Glasgow Film Theatre, as well as Tramway that we would hold a Pakistani Film Media and Arts Festival. And we held the first one in 2005. It was held over a week in September, two weeks in September, um, four week film festival and two week arts exhibition at uh, film festival was at Glasgow Film Theater and a two week exhibition, which was called the Billboard Art of Lollywood. This is what the Billboard Art looks like. Uh, this is truck art, sorry. Truck art of Pakistan, the tribal truck art of Pakistan and the Billboard Art of Lollywood. And this is the brochure of the first film festival. Um, in Glasgow and in Scotland. I'll open this to show you. See, these are some of the billboard art posters. This is the billboard art poster. This is, and these two are the photography exhibition of the truck art uh, pictures. 
so we held an exhibition of the billboard art of Lollywood. Lollywood is the commercial cinema based in Lahore, or which used to be synonymous with Lahore, just like Bollywood is or Nollywood, which is from Nigeria. So we um, uh, they have the whole era of uh, paint people, artists who would paint the screen, the billboard art posters. And it was quite interesting that the tribal truck art of Pakistan is very unique to Pakistan. Um, it's not, as you can see with this truck, the painted trucks, the way the they are uh, painted and this one. And then this is the interior of the cabin, how de they decorate it. And it's like they say, we have one wife at home and this is our second wife. So this is like they decorate as if it's the bridal suite, you know? So anyone, uh, 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 touches it, they get angry. You know, they say this is, yeah, yeah. no one should, uh, you know, touch this or uh, spoil any of the decorations. And this is just the exterior of one of the trucks. Uh, so we had a whole photography exhibition by Peter Grant, uh, which he had done as part of his tour of Pakistan. And he was fascinated by tribal trucks. An independent newspaper had commissioned him. So that was in Tramway. And then the other exhibition of the Billboard Art, uh, which was uh, from 1950s onwards, um, because also with advancement of technology, these painters who used to actually paint the posters and then they were screen printed. Uh, then with graphic designing, these were, they weren't really painting, hand painting and then screen printing. It was more done by graphic designing and. Uh, by computer and then it was printed. So it, in some ways it was highlighting that art form which uh, still is practiced but not to maybe that extent. But also uh, bringing together the overlap because the billboard art is very much synonymous with the cinematic history of Pakistan. And tribal truck art is also um, a lot of uh, times there is a lot of not just folk art which is incorporated in truck art, like you will see here. See, this is the panel that it used to be the, and still are the Bedford uh, trucks. We used to tank, uh, we used to transport, you know, goods from uh, like from Karachi to uh, Peshawar. Uh, so they were long distance journeys. So they would have these built panels, four uh, panels, these ones on the, uh, so the body of the truck is built so that it can be painted on. Um, and so the, tr the master painters who paint the trucks, a um, lot of them are also trained to actually uh, uh, paint billboard art as well. So there is an overlap in their skills. And also the truck art we felt was in terms of cinematic history overlap because a lot of times they have the folk art inspired motifs on these trucks, painted trucks, but also pop art. And they have a lot of times at the back or on the panels, they would have, um, and they would paint the famous heroine of that year, you know, uh, the, the popular one. And, or they would have like um, maybe uh, one of the martyrs in one of the wars, or they would have image of Burak, which is like, um, the half human body, half um, uh, winged uh, angel um, uh, animal, which flew to the heavens and took uh, Prophet Muhammad with him. So it's a mythological uh, 
figure. So uh, we felt to bring these two together. And that exhibition was quite, again, coming back to the aspect of mental health and empowerment. It was interesting when we held that exhibition. It was for two weeks. And we also had a master painter who came and ran workshops in that uh, exhibition. Um, when we had the launch, um, the counselor um, Halima Malik came to the launch. She came early. Um, and uh, she said, I haven't had, had a chance. So before we have the, you know, the sort of formal speeches and things, I like to go and have a look. So she went around and uh, had a look at the exhibition, both of them. And she came back and she said, uh, Alina, you know what you have done? And I said, what's that? Why, what have I done now? You know, I was like, I hope nothing's wrong. Uh, and she said, my heart is beating so fast. I said, all right, okay. And then I realized she was excited about it. So I said, all right, you're, so it means you liked it. And she said, yes, you know, she said some of the uh, billboard art has taken me to my childhood times when we used to go to the cinema with the family and stuff. You don't know what you have done. You have transported me back into that era. And I was like, I was very pleased, you know, that it, uh, it had that impact and, and uh, how she connected with it, you know, in terms of uh, bringing back those memories, which were pleasant memories. And so at different times, uh, you know, uh, people who came, there was uh, some daycare centers who brought their clients and uh, who really liked the truck art painted mugs and stuff as well. And, and the, um, the photographs of the truck art, you know, the exhibition. Uh, so we had, and also school children came to see it. So I think it put a wide range of groups and people who came and tramway, uh, you know, it's, it's normal membership or people from mainstream white communities who came. Even the installers said to us who used to install the exhibitions and tramway said, oh, I'm enjoying this one because I like what I'm putting up, you know, I, I really like this exhibition. So I was like, yes. So uh, I think the it, um, one of the things uh, in terms of having this exhibition was to give the community in terms of Pakistani community, that sense of pride and uh, in having a cultural identity. Now, remember, bearing in mind this exhibition, this festival happened in 2005. And that was the year when the July bombing happened in London, the underground. I can't remember the date, what was the London bombing date, but that was had happened in July and our festival was happening in September. So Pakistani community then and later as well suffered a lot in terms of their identity being synonymous with terrorist acts, being extremist and you know negative uh, persona. So it was also to give them a sense of identity beyond their religious identity in terms of what their cultural heritage was, what was the cinematic heritage and is still there. Um, and, um, you know, a sense of empowerment. Uh, for younger people, it was about getting to know that, oh, this, is, this was Pakistani cinema. And so, okay, Pakistani cinema might have gone down now, but before it has such rich her heritage in terms of it used to produce, you know, at least a hundred films a year. And uh, like Scotland now, then at that time, 2005 was producing barely 11 or 16 films a year. So it was showing, you know, all that. And we also ran, uh, it was the first time that was done in Scotland for 
a black and minority ethnic festival to have a campaign of posters, the festival post, publicity posters in the on uh, underground, you know, um, stations. So we had one poster at each underground, and thankfully <laughs> Glasgow has a small circle. So we had one poster at each of the underground station, you know, when you are standing and you see that advertisement. And we had two each at St. Enoch's and Hillhead. And I, again, that was something that not only um, people from ethnic minority felt empowering, but people from mainstream community. Uh, there were people who met me later and said, you know, I saw the poster and I really liked it and I couldn't come to the film screening because I was away on holiday or something, but I will come to your future events. It made the media sit up and look at Pakistani community and its art and cultural heritage. Um, and since then, there hasn't been a campaign to, of that nature or level um, for another festival from BME communities. Maybe one poster or something like that in the underground, but nothing to that extent. And there was a whole idea of, again, uh, um, you know, helping uh, to rebuild the image of Pakistani community because the stress of the, um, being only look seen as a terrorist, as an extremist, has huge implications on mental health of people uh, and stress, whether it's young people, whether it's you know any age. Pakistani community had a huge stress. And also, so I felt that was in, in a way of, it will not only, it will make them feel you know like i said empowered but also you know the mental stress like oh for i have seen an image where i am uh, you know i am uh, a human being i have culture and I, I have arts so that was one of the things and our first festival i will send um ailey the uh, press cuttings as well as actually we were um it was widely covered the festival was widely covered and all the major newspapers from the ethnic minority media to the you know Glasgow main Glasgow Herald Scotland and Sunday featured our festival as the pick of the week uh, big issue did two page spreads and called it a festival with a socially engaged remit and a political backbone I still quote it because you know big issue is saying that what more do you need? You know, you, you feel that you have achieved something, you know, in terms of what your vision was. I'm not just saying my vision, but the festival's vision was. So it was a brilliant um, effort in terms of the whole team and, and what we set out to do and, and reaching out to people who we might not have reached out to, you know, in terms of in the past with not for our organization, with other organizations as well. Um, even I would say the annual festival of Glasgow Mela, uh, which is held by the Glasgow City Council, um, they, um, you know, the impact in terms of uh, in the media. And I think media also uh, recognizes, um, not because you're, it's happening the first time, but they recognize when it's an F, where the vision and thinking is coming from in terms of, you know, uh, it's not just something which is a razzmatazz event, you know, representation of Pakistani culture and arts and you come to one, you know, film or a dance event and have your samosas and 
no, it was a thought through process of what it was trying to achieve. It wasn't showing Pakistan from rose tinted glasses, you know. It was presenting some uh, level of reality, but also redefining the identity of Pakistanis in a global context in terms of identifying their culture and arts. So uh, from then we did do another festival two years down the line. Again, it toured Glasgow and Edinburgh as well. And I did other events. Um, I also coordinated an exhibition of, which was called Women at Work. And it was an exhibition coordinated and curated by the Human Rights Education Department in Pakistan, the British Council. And uh, they were, uh, they looked at women in professions which were, um, un, um, uh, which were not the usual professions or the um, more, you know, like doctors or lawyer, uh, lawyers or uh, engineers. Well, engineer is not as usual anyway, but doctors, lawyers, and uh, the professions which women usually go. But these were the unconventional professions women had taken up in their careers. So this is an exhibition of 60 posters. Again, they were done at A, three size and they were, it was called Women at Work and it showed women as pilot, as a deacon uh, in the church, as a woman who was running a restaurant to a woman who was running a small uh, called Dhaba, you know, uh, a, uh, um, a small sort of on wheels restaurant to support her family, uh, to a woman who was uh, in her late fifties and she was on a bicycle selling newspaper to support her family. Uh, to women who were in the arts, women who were um, filmmakers, uh, women who were directors of TV dramas, um, and also to actors, uh, women who had, you know, broken the stereotype. And uh, so we brought that exhibition to Glasgow. And that then toured, um, this was after the film there. So this toured uh, about, I think, six venues. It went to Meridian, the Women's Health Center for Black and Minority Ethnic Women. It went to school, uh, Shawlands Academy. It went to, uh, I think, Bellahoust, uh, Glasgow University. University of Glasgow had the exhibition. Because it was 60, we divided up the posters. So uh, uh, like 10 went to the University of Glasgow and they exhibited it in their library in the entrance bit foyer. We had it uh, go to Gara, which at that time was Glasgow Alliance, uh, Glasgow Anti-Racist Alliance. And they, the launch happened there. And we actually had Rifat Alvi, who's the pilot, the first, uh, one of the first pilots trained, uh, who, was, uh, who joined PIA, the Pakistan International Airlines, um, uh, to come to the launch. Uh, and, and she spoke at the launch and launched the exhibition. So this was again empowering women. It was empowering young women in terms of looking at Pakistani women. And of course, the, when we did these exhibitions or festivals, it was open for all. So like at the launch, we had women from uh, white co Scottish community who were talking about challenges of a woman and having a profession or career living in Scotland as well. And, and the mutual respect they had for each other for in terms of Rifat Alvi talking to the women or what they saw in terms of the posters. Again, very empowering for Pakistani community and black and minority ethnic community, whether it was from Arab or African background and them saying, yes, this is what we were trying to achieve in our countries or here. And these are the challenges or barriers or cultural ones or 
societal ones in terms of racism they might have come across. Um, so it was an ongoing process of, again, very subtly um, improving mental health of people through the art via this exhibition again. And then later we had, um, uh, again, in terms of our programming, uh, we worked with the Scotland um, Arts and Film, Scottish Arts and Film Festival. So they asked us to curate and I got them, um, I curated for them a film screening uh, to run during the Scottish Mental Health and Arts Festival. And we had uh, a film on, which was, uh, which looked at, um, stigma of mental disease in an Asian family. And we had people, women, uh, different groups coming from uh, BME communities to attend that uh, film screening. And actually the, uh, the manual I talked about, the toolkit for working um, with black and minority ethnic communities in terms of mental health and mental disease, that toolkit was launched at that screening as well. So it's, it's been, uh, like I said, a lot of the work that I've done where he productions or others have been either uh, thought through projects or opportunistic uh, projects where, uh, you know, we have seen or I have seen an opportunity and said, okay, let's do this because the, here, you know, people um, are um, more open to uh, working with me or with the if I was working with an organization. Uh, we worked with Festival for Muslim Cultures and we brought a play from Pakistan, a theater play by a famous, very well-known and respected uh, theater company called Ajoka Theater who work on social issues. So they had they have worked on mental health and other issues. And this play was called Bulla, which who's um, again, a very famous Punjabi poet. And it was about uh, social harmony and the message, his message in terms of tolerance and social harmony. Again, we worked with them and then helped to bring it to Glasgow as well. Again, the response of the communities, uh, because you might see a lot of commercial theater coming from India or Pakistan, or you might see a lot of commercial, like Hollywood has, you know, commercial, it's a commercial cinema. So uh, bringing more independent sector or social issue-based, uh, working with companies who are working in that way. And in terms of our film festival, also we brought a lot of the films which were from the independent sector movement in these countries. Um, and since I moved to the UK Asian Film Festival, part of the reason I'm working with them is again, uh, when this festival was set up, Tongues on Fire Film Festival, it uh, was set up by, actually she's also from originally from Glasgow, but she settled, Pushpinder Chaudhary, who's the coordinator, she and founder, she settled in London. So when I started the Pakistani Film Media and Arts Festival, he productions, um, I actually met her brother uh, through a social uh, sort of our network. And I said, you know, uh, I'm doing this festival. Here's some brochures. Could you uh, distribute them to your clients? And he said, oh, you're doing this. My sister is doing a festival in London as well. And I had done my research and I said, there's only one Asian, you know, festival happening in London. And I said, is Bushwinder your sister? He said, yeah. I said, well, her surname is different. He said, yeah, she changed it after she got married. I was like, okay, now it makes sense. So, you know, I got in touch with Pushpinder and then since then, 2005, we have kept in touch off and on supporting each other's work um, because she was doing a lot of, she's also a clinical psychologist. So she, uh, through the Tongues on Fire, 
it was called Tongues on Fire Film Festival. Three years ago, they rebranded, so it's called UK Asian Film Festival because it tours uh, the whole of UK. Uh, and uh, she was also very keen to show films from the independent sector, highlight women uh, filmmakers, whichever capacity they were. And also um, issues around the topics of mental health, uh, women's health, and uh, women's rights. Um, so I think whenever um, we used to consult each other in terms of if you're stuck in terms of getting a certain film or a theme. And for me, because they, they had been screening on mental health issues, so I would ask them on, uh, you know, if I needed uh, a film or a documentary to do in terms of mental health. Uh, raising awareness, fighting stigma. So I, then we would collaborate. And uh, the festival, the screening for Scottish Arts happened in that, uh, with that collaboration. And that's what attracted me to when I was thought of going back, I took a bit of break. And um, then when I started to think of going back, I said to her, yeah, I'm thinking of working this year. So that was about three years ago. And she said, listen, we are touring Edinburgh. We started that. So I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I'll come and see some of the films. She said, no, don't just come to see the films, come and host the festival. We have the festival coordinator for Edinburgh. He's uh, Ashwin and from Edinburgh University, but we want you to come and host all the screenings. So I was like, oh, okay, are you sure? She said, yeah. So I said, fine. And I went and uh, we, uh, with Pushpinder, of course we get on, but with Ashwin, we all, gel from the first screening and the second screening he said i think you should hold, uh, that said you should be doing this from next year and it transpired he was moving he, uh, he had been offered a place at westminster university in london so he was moving uh, so pushwinder said well just come and uh, on board and uh, so i worked freelance and i uh, coordinate the festival for scotland um, so since three years now i've been uh, coordinating and uh, Actually, this will this will be the fourth year, yeah. Um, and again, the films are around um, a lot of women's uh, health issues, um, and of course, uh, with regards to mental health, elderly, uh, you know, being elderly, and also looking at mental health. A lot of times, mental health is looked at within a certain age group bracket, and mental health needs of um, uh, ages, you know, people with age maybe 60 plus or later is maybe not that openly discussed what their needs could be, uh, which um, some of the films are addressing uh, or bringing in as a ish topic. Uh, so again, the work continues. And again, like I said, the way, the uh, because we bring films from independent sector, which are issue-based, I'm not saying issue-based means they are depressing, they're issue based and they are telling stories in entertaining ways. And yes, sometimes it can be depressing. But again, through that, I find how the audience um, discusses or asks questions in the QA session, or even later, if they come up to uh, give feedback to me or the volunteers, or stay back in the foyer, you know, uh, to discuss the films. And, uh, you know, I see that very positive and we always have positive feedback uh, about the films uh, in terms of what we're trying to do. Um, and again, I see that as bringing positive mental health to all communities, you know, via film and arts. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, part of what um, I have been doing from uh, here productions to, um, 
the Scottish, uh, sorry, the UK Asian Film Festival now. And I think I should let you go. <laughs> have you had lunch, Laura? <laughs> yeah, it's been fantastic chatting though. We were going to have to stop because I think um, some other people have another interview in at four o'clock, but sorry. I could have chatted all day. It's been very interesting. <laughs> I feel like I've learned loads. So oh. yeah, thank, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I never gave you a chance to talk or tell you about it. Oh, that's okay. It's all about your memories anyway. <laughs> Thank you.